are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul. Um, Our theme music is a clip of Summer Nights by the Eric Jones Trio. It's provided by our friend Mark Chesanow, who plays with the Eric Jones Trio every Thursday and Sunday at Good Times Jazz Bar downtown. Hey, welcome to Art on the Air. This is Tamara Garvey, and I'm sitting with Emily Hyde. Emily, welcome. Hello, how are you? I'm great. Good to see you. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, So Emily is a children's book author, and I first came across you because I saw you did a post on Nextdoor, and it was about gathering information on Oktoberfest, your children's book you're writing, and I got very (laughs) intrigued. I know. (laughs) (laughs) But I love that. And so I kind of kept your name and was like, I want to find out more about this woman who's crowdsourcing about Oktoberfest for a book on wiener dogs. So we will definitely get into that. Um, So I wanted just to start and ask you um, when you first arrived in Savannah and what brought you here? It is one of those things you don't plan on. But once I got into Savannah, like you hear from a lot of people, you just decide you can't leave. So I've been here since 2015. Okay. So a little bit now. And it came, my uncle was vacationing in Hilton Head. And I saw that Savannah was an hour away, and so I drove here for the day and fell in love with it. And then circumstances worked out, and I moved here and never looked back. Where were you living at that time? I was in Kansas City. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. A good bit different. Yeah. But I was tired of the cold and snow, and all of my family's on the East Coast, so oh. it worked out. And you were just in a place work-wise where you could kind of pick up and do whatever? Exactly, yes. Yeah. The working at home before it became the norm. Oh, before that was the thing. Yes. Do you remember what you saw, like what area of the city you were walking in that first day that made you fall in love with it? I love history and I love architecture. So I was immediately enthralled with walking into 18-whatever in Savannah. And it felt like it was still sort of there from the past. Yeah. And in Kansas City, everything where I grew up is very modern and suburbia. And so it was was a... A nice change of pace. And I went to the Owen Thomas house. So I remember being enthralled with that and how beautiful it was in the squares. And I've lived in New York City for a little bit. So I got a taste of that city life feel down here without the throngs of people. Yeah, it's so interesting you say that. I feel like there is such a crossover between here and New York that people, that creative people kind of move back and forth between the two. And it's kind of fascinating. Well, there's an energy and a vibe to both, but you get more space down here and greenery. Yes. The concrete gets old after a while. I always feel like, yeah, and I lived in New York for a while, too. If I just had infinite money, it would be great to have a place in both in both cities. And then, because they're so opposite, it's like when you get tired of one, you could go sure. to the other and have the opposite experience. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, have you always written, even as a child? Actually, no. I was a big story person. I loved to create stories, and I was a theater junkie growing up, so oh. I liked to act out the stories. And... When this is pre-cell phone day, so if you're waiting somewhere and you had nothing to do, I would create stories in my head, kind of like watching a movie. I had to rewind, change your costume, fast forward, rewind, change something else. And so in a way, it was writing, but without words. Oh, yeah. And writing always had a negative stigma for me because of school and all of those term papers you had to write. You think, uh, oh, my gosh, how am I going to write five pages you on whatever? You never thought whatever. about creative writing. You never it was thought just about reports. it. That was not really something I remember doing a lot in school. So... It happened kind of serendipitously. I had a personal family tragedy that happened, and so I decided to uh, journal about it. That was a way to get the emotions out. And then I thought, I kind of like this kind of flow of stream of consciousness. And I remembered all of the different characters I created. And so I just started kind of fiddling around, and then it turned into a thing. Interesting. Do you remember what what year was that? That was 2012. Okay. And you, um, so... I kind of know you for children's books, but it looks like the first book you wrote was an adult book. Is that right? It was. Okay. And that was 2019? Yes. Was that? That was, yeah. That, boy, that's gone fast. Establish. Yes. Yeah. So this, I, I looked at the little description of it. It looks like it's um, kind of funny and touching, and it's about a mom and a dad and a, their college-age daughter. Is this, uh, how autobiographical was that? Um, it's, auto- well, we can just get it out of the way. My dad passed away in 2012, uh-huh. and so what do you do with that? You're 22 and no one else your age has gone through that. And my mom had lost a parent and her friends had lost parents, but they're all middle-aged. They have spouses as a support system. Uh, You know, I'm still worried about getting my first job and GPAs and if, you know, the boy across the street likes me. You're just in a different phase. Yeah, and suddenly you have this very heavy thing. Very heavy thing. So I didn't really have an outlet to talk to about that because my friends didn't know what to do with me. I'm now... 
they need to be sad, but they don't they don't get it. it and right. it's fine. It's just how life right. is. So I started journaling, and then I thought, you know, there are other people my age that or younger that have lost a parent, and they feel exactly the same way. So the autobiographicalness is that there's this tragedy that happens, and this daughter is like working through it and 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 what goes on in a family when your whole world is pulled out from under you with this diagnosis so the storyline besides the illness of it yeah. the storyline is not is more made up and fun and there's okay. lots of um, creative characters in there that, yeah yeah the kind of sitcom character the, the supporting characters you know they all have a shtick that are meant to make you laugh because I realized this is a heavy yes topic. so to balance it out exactly so you made it a little more like exciting for a story for someone to read exactly yeah, yeah. it's and it, it, it's a series so it's not over and I it's oh. a four book series and then the children's books took over and so that kind of got pushed on the back burner because as I'm sure we'll talk about yeah adult and children's books and I hate saying adult I feel like we're talking about something way more PG-13 this is not exactly it's a grown-up books I guess I'll okay differentiate <laughs> non-picture books <laughs> non-picture books um, there, there's different ways you write them and sometimes it's hard to switch between kids world and grown-up oh, world yeah, yeah. creatively I, I just lose my flow so the uh adult books went on the back burner for a while and so I'm starting to work on those again but um I just lost my train you're in the phase of the children's yes. books right now yes yeah. so the adult books are a series it's long short of it and okay. it's a while between book one and two but <laughs> you have to funny. wait until you have some more weird experiences with savannah characters exactly. maybe right? <laughs> so how is it so this is it's so interesting to hear that you um it, it sounds like you didn't have a lot of training in like creative oh, writing and just publishing in general but you just jumped into writing this adult book and then discovered that the flow for adults and children's books are different like how did you learn how to do all of this even at the beginning of all of this, I really struggled with the fact that I am not, we'll say, classically trained. And I was fortunate enough to find Ed's amazing editor. And actually, it was through a gal that is used to be in Spanish. She wrote a book. I contacted her, and she said, oh, well, contact my editor. She's really great. Oh, so you just reached out to her? I just reached out to her. Nice. Yes. So, and she had moved away as a gal from Savannah, and I contacted the editor, and she is... She's like Jiminy Cricket and your fairy godmother all rolled into one. I've never that. physically met her. She's in <laughs> Connecticut, but she would hold my hand and she would tell me it does not matter if you're not classically trained. Huh. How many people just jump into something and it works out? And she helped me. I came. I did journalism in college, so okay. I came from that, which was very different than creative writing. So I, um, she helped me. You know, Chicago-style manual versus whatever the journalism is called, and it's just different ways oh, to write. So she she helped me get through that. Um, but like I said, I always envisioned stories and, and acted them out as a kid, and so I just relied on that. I would I would see the picture in my head and then type as fast as I could to get the to picture get it out. in there. Oh yeah. And editing is your best friend and your worst enemy. It saves you. <laughs> You'll just be glad your first draft isn't published. We'll just put it that okay. way. So it helps polish it up. So when you when you found this editor that you reached out to, had you already finished writing your whole draft of your book, or was it earlier? Actually, yes. So it took six years from me starting to kind of journal and work things out to the finished material. I actually had used another editor previously, written the whole draft, contacted this editor. She and I were not compatible. And so I basically wrote the whole book a second time before I reached out oh, to the wow. editor, okay. the current editor, Beverly is her name. And so Beverly and I working together, I probably essentially rewrote it a third time. Interesting. That's and a lot. That's a, do, Does it feel like the story as you're rewriting it a second and then a third time, can you tell that it's just getting better and better and you're improving it? Or is it just like a dredge to go through that? Both. You have to take breaks and you've got to put it in a drawer and not look at it. You need to go outside and you need to see things and smell things and yeah. eat things and get your brain off of it. And then when you go back with fresh eyes, you say, oh, this isn't too bad. Or I can see right here, this has got to go, this scene, these word choices. It helps to take a step back. Yeah. The editing process is, or she would call it, Beverly, uh, the rewriting process, because that is essentially what you're doing is excruciating. I don't enjoy that. It's yeah. very tedious. You have to go micro and macro. Like she really got brain. in there and tore it apart. 
Yeah, in a very polite way. Yeah. I will give her that because that's not easy. Any artist of any uh, genre, for lack of a better word, does not like criticism and does not like to be told that their baby that they've just poured all this blood, sweat, and creativity to, it's not perfect. It's right. very hard to take that. And Beverly, if it hadn't been for her, I probably would have never published it. She was very good about giving me... Cri- um, criticism um just constructive criticism thank you. yes yeah. constructive criticism in a very mary poppins uh, spoonful yeah, of sugar yeah. helps medicine go down i'm sure especially life. since you're saying you know it's partially autobiographical about your father passing that you like extra need someone who's going to be very tender with you about this and as you will learn if you're doing somewhat autobiographical that almost can be its own curse because she would say they don't need to know your day-to-day life how you how life really went for you you know there's components you think this one little shtick is funny but it doesn't it doesn't add to the story so it's got to go and then you take a step back and you're like I see what she's saying she's the third party she's she's not emotionally invested yeah she's the potential reader and exactly and I I did a lot. I feel like I could have gotten a second college degree with all of the studying that I did. I read so many books about editing, about writing, YouTube wow. videos. It was it was why it took so long. As I really yeah. taught myself a lot, which is great, but it's also very frustrating because you think if I didn't have to sit here and learn all of this, I would be on could to have my just done next it, yeah. whatever. But going through it, it makes makes me appreciate the whole process, and even if the book never went anywhere it was a satisfaction knowing I had accomplished something yeah you did your best yeah I mean it sounds like you really approached it as like you were going to make it 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 was like transitioning into a new career you're making it as professional as possible you weren't just like spitting out kind of an autobiography for the therapy of it you were becoming like a real real author yes I'm not a half-hearted kind of girl if I'm going to go for it (laughs) I'm going to go for it (laughs) Did you, were you working in journalism before this? No, actually, I was working at a house museum in Kansas City. Oh, so okay. I would cool, cool. get up at 4 a.m. and I would write for two, two and a half hours, and then I'd get ready and go to work. And Very disciplined. Very, yes. Yeah. So no wonder the Owens Thomas house really spoke to you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's cool. Um, what was your, so I was going to ask what your favorite part of the process was, but I feel like it's, it's pretty clear from just talking to everybody that, like, nobody likes the editing stage. It's just getting it the, the funny thing is whenever I think of people editing their own work I think of um what I guess is more proofreading just like language and fixing little tiny things like that but from talking to you it sounds like people they might be like you need to restructure this entire thing you need to take this whole chunk of story and put it over here like it can be really getting into it like you said in a macro level where you're having to like sit down and remove around chunks of the entire narrative exactly a lot There's three types of editors that I learned along the way. You have your developmental editor, which is who you need to visit first, and they look at that big picture. Do your characters have an arc? This subplot you started for 10 chapters and then let it go, well, you either got to finish it or take it out. Yeah. And that can, I would say that's probably the most frustrating part because you've got to let go of the vision you originally had for whatever, the whole thing, some of it, your character, and then you've got to rebuild it again. Yeah. I find that to be very challenging to do objectively, which is, again, why you should put it away and come back. It helps. And I read somewhere that another author would call her, as soon as she finished her first draft, which your first draft is really for the author, and then every other draft is for the reader. First draft is you oh. getting it all out of your head the way you want it. Yeah. And now we gotta make it. And then you have to understand it might end up very, very different. A hundred percent. So she would give her finished manuscript a name and make it an inanimate object. And she said, she called it Gretchen. She just <laughs> said it was, I know, great name. She said it made it so much easier to tear Gretchen apart because it's not mine anymore. Hmm. Gretchen is an inanimate object. <laughs> so if the editor says, Gretchen is terrible I don't take it as personally and it sounds <laughs> silly, very funny but it really does work all yeah. of a sudden I'm not going to take it personal anymore it's kind of like when you're selling your house and someone comes in and I don't know the purple carpet you had in your bedroom that you adored and they just rip it to smithereens yeah you take it so personally but if you look at the house now not a home it's a house a little bit easier thing, to, yeah. Exactly. But this sounds more like the metaphor would be somebody walks in your house and they're like, I don't like this room. We need to move the bathroom <laughs> to a different part and this entire thing is wrong. Exactly. <laughs> like the whole flow of your house is bad. 
<laughs> so you, you do that first, your development, then you get your line editor, your copy editor, and they look more at your word choice. Do you use, mm. I don't know, this word appear twice in a paragraph? Or uh, my problem is I like to use really big words and Beverly would say, that's great, but it does not fit with your story or the oh. audience that you're tailored to. That's, okay. So you need to change those words out. And was this an adult book or a YA book? I, I didn't know. Like, does I, that... It, it, Did they decide that early and then your word choices come from that? No, it was just me writing, really. Okay. And I use big words in their life, so that's where it came in. And first time around, I didn't do any of that marketing prep. I didn't think about who my target audience is. I didn't think about who the ideal reader would be. None of that went into play. It started yeah. just as turning personal tragedy into a story that somebody else could relate to. That it, and it, it's not that it's, it wasn't meant to be about me at all. It was just for someone like me who didn't know who to talk to, pick up this book and you realize, oh my gosh, I feel some of these same things. I'm not a weirdo. So that's where that kind of all came in. Um, once you get your 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 words, your um, your copy editor phase finished, which I find that less tedious, but it's still a little bit tedious. They, the editors do yeah. it in. Um, tracking and words you have all those little bubble things you're seeing all the oh things are changing just everything that's wrong yeah so so that's the modern version of like a red pen exactly okay i would kind of wish it was a red pen versus all those lines but <laughs> anyway and then when you're finished with that phase then you get into your proofreader did you put your comma correctly there there and there just those very yeah. finite details and then you're ready to publish <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I would, I personally would really love being a proofreader because I love cleaning things up like that yes. and I like tidying things and I honestly love proofreading other people's work. <laughs> well, you might have a second career there. There you go. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask, so you're, you're running a business now called Bootstrap Publishing. Can you tell me a bit about sure. that? Sure. It's actually Bootstrap Books. But oh, okay. It's Bootstrap Books Publishing is the URL because Bootstrap Books was taken. But the whole, once I moved to Savannah, I was talking to people, what are you working on? Oh, I'm trying to write this book, blah, blah, blah. And as I got further along into the publishing process, that too was its own college course of learning. And with anything with technology, it changes so fast. So you may be reading an article from five years ago, and that stuff doesn't really apply anymore right, right. because the technology has changed. And I would think from COVID, maybe now the whole oh, process is 100%. even different too. So I had multiple people say, well, would, can I come over and maybe pick your brain? And so it turned into a consulting business oh. for other people that have a story, but they don't know what to do with it after it's written. Yeah. So I help people get it out into the world. So suddenly you became, you you had this knowledge that you could pass just yes. quickly like that. You were the exactly. person to go to. As I was beating my head against my portable brick wall as I'm learning about it, yeah. it actually turn out to be a blessing. That's amazing. Also, I love the aspect that you were living in Savannah and going about your day and running into so many other people who are writing things. Exactly. It's wild. Well, and you, what a you, great place. It is. It's so creative here, as you know. And I would say probably most of us has written something or thought about a book at some point. Yeah. I'm shocked how many closet authors there yeah, yeah. are that <laughs> just did it for fun in their spare time. And now they're just... They don't know what to do. And if you try yeah. in traditional publish, which I'm not knocking that at all, it has many benefits. But it is not what it was if you, you know, read those, you know, um, romantic comedies from, you know, like the 80s when you would get this great publishing deal. That kind of stuff doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, it's like very, the money isn't there. No, not at all. Especially if you're an unknown. Yeah, this is so. I recently did another interview with a group of four women who have been doing a critique group together, mm-hmm. and they, a couple of them, have had a couple of books published. And they mentioned that too that they, when they first approach the publishing houses, they want like you yourself to be a name, a marketable name. And so it's really hard for just random people to come in and become a first time author. A hundred percent. And you have to have an agent before you can even approach them. So you have to yeah. go query for an agent who then queries the publishing house. And you lose all the control over your final product, which I'm a slight control freak, so that did not sit well. And then you've got to do your own marketing. And that's what I was hoping you yeah, would do. Yeah. I don't know marketing. I would think now of it, do it. Didn't it used to be this like kind of plush world where they publish your book and they're so excited for it and you get a great cover and they're rolling out this whole exactly. you get like a nationwide tour and they're organizing that for you? I remember reading a, a semi autobiographical 
autobiographical. That's a, that's a hard word. <laughs> about Nicholas Sparks, who wrote the notebook. Oh, yeah. He wrote it in his spare time, sent it out. He got a million dollars to sign wow. with whoever it was. Was that in the publishes. 90s? I think it might have been early 90s. Okay. So that kind of world just yeah. doesn't exist anymore. Right. And he was a nobody at the time. Right, He's right. not a famous person already like we know him now. But that is just... That's not how it is. And the work you have to do to just try and get in front of eyeballs. So what what do you do? What what are the services that you provide for people? I do publishing consulting. I don't publish people's books because legal terms wise, it gets very messy with contracts and who has control over the rights and all of that. So I keep it as the author is self-publishing. If they want to set up a LLC to look more professional, I can walk them <laughs> so through th- how I did that. That's a thing that people that. might choose to do. Actually, tax-wise, it's very smart to set up an LLC. And in Georgia, it's a $150 fee the first year and a $50 renewal every year after that. Okay. And then you get to treat it as a business, which the IRS likes. It changes you from being a hobby person to a professional person, and you can take business deductions and oh, that's great. All of that. Good tip. Yes. So, <laughs> but I'm not a lawyer so and I don't play one on TV, yeah. so don't take that as so a legal a Bible. <laughs> teaser of what you might get from consulting with you. Yes. Okay. And then once the book is finished, then I walk them through all the processes that we need to go. Editing, some people don't want to do an editor. I don't recommend that. You really should have, even if it's a friend that teaches English, you really yeah. should have somebody read over it because the <laughs> reviews will slam you for that. They, if you don't have good writing yeah. reviews on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, we'll They're really going to pick you apart. Yes. Then you need to start thinking about cover design. Mm. And unfortunately, that is not my specialty, but there are plenty of people in Savannah <laughs> that do that. And then the hardest bit is, I guess you would call the metadata of putting it on Amazon. Amazon oh. is KDP, Kindle Direct Publishing, is the branch that they use. You've got to have your synopsis and there is a marketing kind of way to write it so Amazon will you search say Savannah Georgia Mm -hmm. if you do certain things in your synopsis then Amazon will put you higher on the results Uh, list like the the SEO of it exactly so there's a lot of games you got to play with the metadata to be more uh, higher on the list shall we say so once you think about all of that then you also have to think about marketing which is the most challenging bit because you don't want your book to just languish on the internet and nobody buy it. Yeah. you got to get in front of people and eyeballs. And social yeah. media can help. I personally don't find social media to be the golden goose. I think there's probably too many people putting too much content out to... Okay. Ads, though, ads work, but you're paying for those. So you've got to make a plan, a layering plan. A little bit of ads, a little bit of social media. Yeah. And then people find what is working better for them and exactly. then go with that. And the more I work with people, the more I can hone the craft of, I can tell you this is going to work. I can tell you you're wasting your time. This is amazing. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds a lot like, I mean, just as an artist where like you get started maybe selling on Etsy and there's the aspect of like the photos of your item and then writing the description and writing the tags so that it gets picked up by Etsy. And it's annoying that it's like, the more success and the more people are looking at it and buying your item, then the higher it'll turn up in the search results. So if it's doing poorly, it's going to just do more and more poorly. Exactly. And, you know, which is annoying. So It's unfortunate, but the Amazon, Google, they reward people that do well. Yeah. So if you don't sell a lot, they push you lower. Yeah. And you want to like get out there and like immediately start selling well, and then it'll really hit the ground. Exactly. Yeah. So there's all sorts of tips and tricks, yeah. like pre-orders, have your family and friends, oh. have reviews ready to Have them to ready go. to buy. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. That is a lot. So yeah. It's, it's, it's a learning curve, but it's, it's been enjoyable. And a note about self-publishing, I was a person that thought, oh my gosh, I'm not self-publishing. That is, you know, I don't want to say it's beneath me, but it's a bad stigma. Oh, you just self-publish. Uh, Charles Dickens self-published The Christmas Carol. Oh. And he did pretty okay. Well, good trivia. Yes. <laughs> and the gal that wrote Fifty Shades of Grey, she self-published and then got picked up. So okay. <laughs> take the stigma out of it. So but by self-publishing, does that mean like you find sort of like an internet place that's going to actually print out your book for you? Or what is that? That is a great question. Ebooks are 
probably the biggest seller in adult world, especially. In oh, okay. children's world, you do want that physical yes. copy. And if you're like me, I just want the physical copy anyway. So today with publishing, there's print on demand. So you don't have okay. a thousand books sent to your house and you think, what am I Got going it. to do? You can just order a small quantity. You can order a small quantity. And that's where people like Amazon come in, this KDP. You set up all the information and then they print the book. They have places, I guess, all over the country yeah. or the world because if someone buys it, you know, say in Ireland, they're not printing in America. They got something over there and they take care of all the um, finance parts about who pays tax and all of that. So it takes a burden off of you. Yeah. Now you're paying, a, as the author, you're paying a little bit more per book to print because you're only printing one instead of a thousand. Okay. But, so for example, my adult book, it was about $10 when I first started. And okay. I think now, of course, COVID, the cost of paper, cost of ink, that's all gone up a little bit. But originally it was about $4.46 to print the book. So then that comes off your price and then you, and Amazon takes a cut and then yeah. you get the, the rest. But if for self-publishing, no, you don't have to find a printer. Those, those are no longer the case anymore. Oh, okay. Barnes & Noble Amazing. has their own ability for you to upload your stuff. They'll print on demand. It's listed on their website. Oh. And uh, Ingram Sparks is your global person. That's who bookstores use to purchase books. And um, Book Vault. Book Vault is in England, and they're my new discovery, and they allow you to sell your books directly on your website, and they'll take care of all of the shipping for you. So oh, okay. So that is drop shipping, right? Uh, I think. I don't know. Okay. In the art, in the art, we have that too in the art world, where you can like have your thing uploaded, and people will place an order, but they'll actually print it and send it to you, and yeah, they call then it yes, drop shipping. In it that. is drop yeah, shipping. It's cool. I'm, I'm loving like the, it, there's so much parallels between what you're saying and the way that artists now can just upload their images onto various sites and people can order it as like as the art or it just as you know a mug or a blanket or something and exactly. then the company like does it for you that that's what yeah. is so great about technology is the artist does not have to take on all that responsibility of finding the printer and I didn't know anything about ink they're asking yeah. me what kind do you want bleed or no bleed I have no idea what you were right, talking right. about and then you have to graphic design the pages it's, together and all that oh my gosh oh, that's yes. interesting yeah now there's software to format the book yeah. so you don't Yes, it's just like you're saying with, with art. With art, yeah. It's much easier nowadays. Yeah, and that's because what you're describing, it's like, oh, this is a real cacophony of birds. Like, you already have enough business things that you're worrying about as the as the writer, where you're doing, like, the SEO of your website and doing your own marketing and all this stuff. So, like, it's nice that at least this one tiny aspect, the physicality of graphic designing the book together and not having to have a garage full of printed out books oh. at least that has been taken off here and there's something scary about that first time publishing too i mean you've got enough jitters we don't yeah we don't need to add to the complications that's fascinating how so how much of your in your daily life how much would you say is writing versus working on your consulting i get a little too much one way and then i switch too much the other i'm working yeah. on balance 2023 is about balance okay. for me trying to get back to my 4 a.m writing and then do the rest of the consulting and the moment i'm in the writing phase so i'm very lax on uh some of the other business aspects because as i'm sure any artist can relate to once you have an idea you can't focus on anything else yeah, until yeah. you get, get single-minded and then there'll be other times where I got multiple clients at one time and that consumes my you have to just do that day. yeah yes you said 2023 is about balance so you're <laughs> a few months from now you're going to be starting on balance I'm, I'm planning now okay <laughs> you're looking ahead to do balance I'm giving myself some trial and error let's say so we're oh. going to take a little break and we're going to get back and really get into your children's books I'm very excited to talk to you about that everybody stay tuned this is Tamara I am with Emily Hyde Listening to WRUULP Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul. Trees are one of Chatham County's most treasured natural resources. Beyond their beauty and cultural significance, the impact of trees are far-reaching and compounding, spanning from economic benefits to health improvements to climate change resilience. 
trees are woven into every aspect of our lives. Savannah Tree Foundation protects and grows Chatham County's urban forest through tree planting, community engagement, and advocacy. More information is available at savannatree.org. This portion of WRUU's programming is brought to you by listeners and by Brighter Day Natural Foods. Brighter Day Natural Foods has been serving Savannah's healthy food and supplement needs since 1978. It is located at the corner of Bull Street and Park Avenue. They have online ordering and curbside delivery available. And now a walk-up window for smoothies, juices, and sandwiches from the deli. They are open from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Sunday. More information can be found at brighterdayfoods.com. What does it mean when we say that WRUU is a community radio station? It doesn't just mean that we invite the community to create programming. And it doesn't just mean that we're a voice for the community. It also means that we're counting on the community to keep us going. And you are the community. Almost all of our modest budget comes from small annual or monthly donations from listeners like you. You get to enjoy our community-focused programming because many others have stepped forward to do their part. Now do your part by joining our community of listener donors. Go to WRUU.org right now and make a one-time or monthly donation. And thank you for supporting Savannah's community radio station, 107.5 FM. Hey everyone, welcome back to Arts on the Air. This is Tamara Garvey and I'm here with Emily Hyde, author. Hello everyone. Welcome back. So we, before the break we're talking about her, um, her adult book, her non-picture book that she's written, but you also have, d- have done two children's books that are delightful and they are the Scarlet series, is yes, that right? Yes, okay. that is correct. So the first one was Scarlet Moves to Savannah. Yes. From 2021, is that right? Yes, that's okay. right. Um, so what, uh, what made you switch over to the children's book side, a completely different It was not on my radar at all. And it's actually kind of a fun little story. So I went to the dentist and I'm chatting with the uh, (laughs) hygienist and I was telling her about the publishing consulting business and writing books. And she said, you know, my daughter went to SCAD and she is trying to break into illustration for children's books. Could you talk to her? Okay, I know nothing about that, but sure, I will give you anything I can about the publishing industry. And she doesn't live in Savannah anymore, she lives in Indiana. So we chatted back and forth over the email, and I said, you know, it's going to be tough to break in or get in um, the right places if you don't have something published to your name. And then as we're talking, I said, well, you can draw and I can write. You just want to do something together, and then you'll have it for a portfolio, and oh. you can be on your way. Oh, sure. Well, we hit it off very well, and it was about, I think we started in February of 21, and the book came out in October of 21. Wow. So you started out, it was just a project to help this girl It was just a project girl to you help. never met before. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. And I knew her mom is the hygienist, yeah. and um, so yeah, I was happy to do it. I know what that's like starting out. And, and this is Chelsea Liberati. Chelsea right? Liberati, yes. yes. Who went to SCAD. She went to SCAD for painting. Yeah. And so um, our listeners might be familiar with her art. She's a very talented artist. <laughs> if you don't know her, check out ChelseaLiberati.com, a shameless plug. <laughs> and we just started working on this book together. Wow. And I originally wanted to do something on the weenie races for Oktoberfest, which we can get into that post you mentioned later. And as I'm thinking about it, I thought, you kind of need to get to know the characters and Savannah a little bit. I, in the Midwest growing up in Kansas City, I had never heard of Savannah. So I Mm. took that mindset that it's not just going to be people in Savannah reading this book. So we started with Scarlet Moose to Savannah. Now, I have a wiener dog named Scarlet, so (laughs) she may or may not be the inspiration behind it. And I just sent some photos of Scarlet to Chelsea, and she just created the characters, or that character. And then we just kind of uh, worked together hand-in-hand about creating. And since this wasn't um, a contract deal or we didn't have a publishing house breathing down our neck, it was very relaxed and laid back. So we didn't have a lot of deadlines or anything the first time around. We're just, and she's working another job, I'm working another job. It was just something we did for fun. So that's how the first book came about, and we had 
so much fun that we've decided to start a whole series. <laughs> was she was she in town when you were working on this together? Or it was was it all, all virtual. Wow, that's fascinating. We started with some emails and back and forth about the type of characters or I would make character sketches and sketches not meaning I drew it it's a theater term when you're creating the character you make a sketch in your mind of what they look like so maybe personality traits or could this okay. one be a chihuahua or whatever and then I sent them to her and she would then create the characters yeah. and send them to me and they were amazing and the whole world is dogs right the whole world is dogs yes we figured that which is everyone loves dogs yeah and so yes, the whole world is dogs. They live in Savannah and there are people like in their movements and manners. And so they yeah. walk on their hind legs, but they look like people walking. It's not like we think of our dogs prancing around on their hind legs. Yeah. They have cute little Their outfits. movement is, yeah. Exactly. They're just dogs. Yeah. And they're really, I mean, they, they're they just very charming and whimsical. And the main one, the dachshund, I love, she seems to always like, both of her eyes are on one side. Like no matter what. <laughs> way you're looking at her face you see both of her eyes which I is kind of Picasso like realized that. which you I love so right <laughs> I love how detailed Chelsea gets every girl has some sort of bracelet or bret or necklace and I just and all the nails are painted for certain characters yeah. she's very good in details yes I'm very fascinated by the idea of um so you write you write a story and then like how you guys come up together with the flow of the book physically where you have to decide which words are going to be in which page at the same time that she has to come up with like the picture for that page and then lay out the words how did you guys figure out how to do that trial and error and I will tell you the second round of doing this the second book was so much easier because we've worked out this case so I come from writing 300 pages and I have to describe what they're wearing and they walk from here to there this is what the scene looks like so it took me a while to realize I don't need to do that yeah the pictures are going to do that yeah so I wrote a whole prose paragraph sent it to her and she would take that create some pictures some line drawings as she calls them so there's no color in them they're just a, just like a, a basic thing. basic line drawing of to get an idea and then she kind of is my my first editor of the whole thing because I, what we do now, having worked this out, I'll send her like a outline, a prose outline. So I'll give some descriptions of, I the girl is wearing the dog is wearing red boots, and um, she has a bow in her hair. And then we don't put those words on the final page. That's just for Chelsea for to make these line drawings. And then certain dialogues I'll put in bold to say I think these are things that need to be said yeah this will be the actual story exactly yeah. and then she'll piece things out and put them on the page and then she'll send it to me and maybe oh I think this one line's really important let's put it back in yeah but she really gives me reign over the words and I give her full reign over the the illustrations oh, and we yeah. just we gel so there's a lot of I would say things that aren't said that we just understand I don't know. That's it's one of those serendipitous yeah. things that worked out. Not not every writer illustrator would work that way, but that's how yeah. she and I. It's kind of cool to think. So you, yeah, you're more in the the realm of like writing for an adult book where you're writing out the entire thing, and then she's going in and just picking out. Exactly. She's like cutting it down into for a children's book where it's almost like poetry. It's just little lines here and there. That it's was not so, so much actual writing. Challenging for me the first time around. I wanted to have loads of lines and dialogue. Yeah. You don't need that for a kid's book. Yeah. And you're going to lose kids anyway. I mean, think about when you were little, especially for me, you'd get a book and you see all the writing in a picture book. And you'd be like, yeah, oh daunting. my gosh, can we please go to the next page? <laughs> don't want to be that person. So she's helped me trim. What what age um, are the books pitched at? We say three to eight. Okay. So you, and the goal would be that you could eventually maybe read them yourself as you get a little bit older. Yeah. But there's still, if you have... A range of siblings mom and dad can read you to everybody yeah um, are they uh, do, do you read a, have you started reading a lot of children's book yourself for <laughs> yes. research into the, yeah I actually have gone into the attic and pulled out all of my childhood books and I now have a bookshelf just oh. for these books and I anytime I start to work on a scarlet book I will pull out tons of books the library I max out my card on how many <laughs> I can check out I'm constant. It, it's been so fun to be honest to yeah. get back into children's world and be seven again and just sort of all those responsibilities and headaches and everything is so I don't know 
Disney princess movie. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating, like you said, the challenges that you have as a kid. You have to get back into that mindset of like, what were the things that I was nervous about or excited about or what are the things that you even noticed about life in general? And like the book is pitched at that. Exactly, and, and the first book, Moving to Savannah, as I mentioned, I moved here, but I was an adult. And so I thought about what's it like when you change schools and you have to make new friends. That is momentous yeah. as a kid. Yeah, it's your whole world. It's your whole world. So I want to put those little life lessons in about how you can get through that. But again, thinking like I'm five or seven and not yeah. the rational adult that we grow up to be. What, what, so what is your kind of life lesson for how people get through changing schools. <laughs> what are you talking them through? Well, I borrowed a phrase that my grandfather used to say that all you need is a hit. And he was talking a hit as in baseball. When the ball hits the bat just right, you score a home run. And when you find that one hit, that one group, so maybe it's theater like it was for me in school, or maybe it's the basketball team. And you find that niche of people that you can relate to a common bond and especially if you're thinking more of a extracurricular activity if you're working towards a bigger goal you're playing a basketball game you're doing a theater production and it helps foster that teamwork mentality that eventually leads hopefully to friendships yeah I okay. love that so it's, it's called all you need is a hit <laughs> uh, um, all you need yes all you, you just need okay. one hit you, you just need it. one hit <laughs> It's a great life lesson. <laughs> it's in the book in case you need to <laughs> reference it. Okay, so that the first book was Scarlet Moves to Savannah, and then the second book that you, you two did together is Scarlet Runs the Race. Yes. And that just came out this year, right? That just came out at the end of September. Okay, and it sounds like, so that first one, you guys did the entire thing together in like nine months. Yes, we did. And, yeah. it, and again, that is working in between jobs. It was not the full focus but this time around we wanted to do more of a timing see how long it takes us yeah as Chelsea will tell you the first book it took her 400 hours from wow. start to finish of creating the characters and the final uh, illustrations and then the most frustrating bit was the formatting of the book and again children's and adults are just different mindsets even in terms of your logistics of printing the book mm. so we did a landscape didn't realize that when you look at it's you know eight by ten we were wrong in what was width and what was height so then she had to go back and reformat the whole thing oh no it's those kind of little yeah. first time things that were so challenging the second time around with all of that behind us and we're using a same main character so she didn't have to start from scratch again yes. so we started that oh gosh I want to say we were getting pretty serious about it about April, I would say, and then she and I did pre-orders in, um, I guess, the middle of August that started, and then that gave us a month and a half to get our own author's copies and see, oh, is this coloring right, or oh, yeah, does yeah. this look okay, and it allowed us to get kinks out behind the scenes that we didn't factor in the first time we published. For example, the first time we published, I had her name spelled wrong in the bio, in this metadata that I was talking about before, and she had to call me and say, I just checked on Google and my name's wrong. Oh, so no. we got all those kinks out this time around. <laughs> I love, yeah, it's, this is, the, I love the kink that it's like her name being spelled wrong and then like the formatting of the book. So you just like really knocked out all these awful major things in this first one. <laughs> like I said, I never do anything half-hearted. It's just gotta be easier go after that, after you've done that. Yeah. Um, so this one is, uh, so it's, based on the, the wiener dog race. Is that part of, um, is it part of Wagaween? It was not. They, and they didn't do the wiener races this year at Oktoberfest. Uh. So originally, when I first moved here with my dog Scarlett, everyone would stop and ask, has she been in the weenie race? Well, when you first move in here, you say, well, what is a weenie race? Yeah. And it, it was part of the tradition in Savannah for the Oktoberfest that on Sunday, so that is, I believe it used to be the first weekend of October, don't quote me. Okay. And the Sunday of that three-day festival, they would have these weenie races, and you could sign your dog up, and it is the most entertaining thing you've ever seen. Nobody runs straight. But they're just wild, right? Yeah, and then some of them will just play with each other. Some just won't leave mom. It's very entertaining Dachshunds are kind of willful, aren't they? They're kind oh of, like, my gosh. stubborn. Very stubborn. Where do they hold this? They used to hold it down on River Street. I think it's Morel Park. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah. So kind of by the waving girl okay. statue on the east side on of the East Street. side. But they they stopped and COVID came and that all disrupted 
and now it's moved over to Plant Riverside, and now and I emailed them before the book came out to say, you know, are you going to have this? So I would love to give you a plug. And yeah. They they weren't doing. They they had Oktoberfest, um, but it's, it was different than those previous years, and yeah. there was no race from. They what just didn't do I that. Understood. Now maybe oh. I'll get back checked here, and they just didn't know <laughs> at the time when I emailed them, and there was, but. Interesting. Well, hopefully for next year. I know. <laughs> so that was what the whole book was originally about. And yeah. then, of course, when it comes out, no, we need races. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this will be the impetus for someone in the city to take exactly. this on again. Because it sounds like when you first moved to Savannah, everybody was asking about this, that there's a lot of people in town who look forward to this event. Well, I don't know if other breeds of dogs garner so much um attention shall we say but dachshund lovers seem to pick each other out and if they see another dachshund they gotta ask you stories yeah. they tell you their stories you share photos so i i would love for that to bring that's very cute i think you, you don't see a ton of dachshunds walking around because i guess they don't need a ton of exercise right no yeah <laughs> No, this tiny little feet only goes so far. <laughs> I was thinking as you were talking, the other breed that I feel like people are this crazy about and like this much of a fan of are corgis, which is the same shape, just bigger. So maybe people just like really long dogs. Well, fun fact, after Queen Elizabeth passed away, they published all the dogs that she had and they're called Dorkies, a corgi and dachshund having a puppy. The puppy is called a dorky. Wow. Not the best name, but so yes, there, there's the pinnacle of dogs. There's a thing there <laughs> <laughs> they're adorable I feel like with corgis people everybody just loves their butts right exactly <laughs> um, okay I did want to get into a little bit so we have a few um, there are a few like indie bookshops in town and then we also I guess still have the Barnes and Noble out at the mall how did you go about like have you had any um, events locally how do you go about getting your book out in places I have not contacted the indie bookshops for the children's books. I wanted to have more than one before I approached them, so okay. I will hope to do that in the in the coming days. Bookshops are challenging in that they like to order from a place called Ingram Sparks, and they need to have a certain discount to purchase the book so that mm -hmm. the bookstore can make money off of the book, which makes sense. So especially for self-published authors, that can be challenging. And you, you can publish through Income Sparks, but that discount can, you don't make a whole lot of money as the author if the discount is low enough, but then yeah. bookshops won't make any money if they don't have the discount. So it's, it's a bit of a catch-22. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, so some people go and try and work with the stores, uh, whether it's a bookshop or a gift shop, and either do like a consignment kind of thing, or I'll sell you the book myself instead of you going through a third party yeah. because we can we cut out a middleman so then there's more so the author has made a little bit more money so the author will anyway. make a little bit more money so it's probably going to be like a smaller quantity that they're taking on exactly yeah. and and they want the bookshop doesn't want the risk either I don't blame them and again once you get traditional publishers that's a whole different system the the bookshops can return unsold uh, books yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and as an indie author you may want to say oh I'm not sure how I feel about that so bookstores traditional That's brick hard, and mortar yeah. can be challenging yeah so it sounds like there's been all these um kind of like advances for authors to do this self-publishing and the print on demand but as far as getting it out to bookshops there hasn't been an easy way to work this out yet they, well not to be in the store not for you to walk in and say do you have a copy of you can do a third party, we'll call them distributors. And so they can, especially ebooks, those are much easier to be listed on a website. So if you go to Barnes and Noble and you type in either of the Scarlet books, you can purchase it from barnesandnoble.com. But if you go into the one on Abercorn, they can order it for you, but they are not going to stock it yeah. in the store. Yeah. So interesting. Yes. If you go about it more of a, a digital online approach, and you can get the physical copy from Barnes and Noble, yeah. but they're just they're just not wanting to take that risk. And the more big bookstore you get into, the higher the hurdles are to be in the store. So I um, do a lot of digital marketing. I've done school presentations in the past, oh. and children can purchase the books and then we talk about the creative process and, and how it's made and then newsletter blasts, um, email marketing, just 
word of mouth really, really helps. Yeah. And Chelsea's mom, Amber, is definitely a publicist in another lifetime. <laughs> that girl gets She's the word out there. like no one's business. This is your dental hygienist? Yes. You said? Okay. Yes. <laughs> so for you, for people who want to get your book and read them, do you recommend, is there a particular site that you want to direct them to? And I will publish that in the show notes. Oh, that would be lovely. Well, you can go to the Bootstrap Books website. Okay. And it's very long with URL with the hyphen, so check the show notes. <laughs> okay. But that would be your, your best bet. Okay. You can get any kind of version of the book you would like. I wonder as I'm talking to you, so there's like, there's a permit that you can get as a fine artist that is like $5 a year or something you get from the city, and then you can, you know, go sit in Forsyth Park or a few other oh. squares and sell your art. I don't know if you've ever walked through there on a Saturday oh, sure. or Sunday and just seen artists, but I, I wonder if that's also applicable for authors because I feel like so your books are based in Savannah I can see you sitting there and just like selling your books to tourists as that they're buying be, Savannah oh, art I would totally do that <laughs> and there used to be a children's book festival that the library put on but they're oh. not doing that anymore and so I'd be happy to set up a table and yeah that be my so best <laughs> salesman possible <laughs> I can send you the info I used when I got a permit to do oh, this please thank you <laughs> um I wanted to ask just a little bit about uh creatively creativity wise sure. what is your um, best way to combat any writer's block I need to put it away and I need to do something physical take a walk ride a bike even something as short as getting up from my computer and coming down the stairs into the kitchen and making a cup of tea mm -hmm. is enough to unlock your brain and I would say for me it's not even a conscious unlocking I'm just you know worried about what kind of tea I'm going to have and something on the label inspires whatever I was blocked on and then I gotta run up the stairs and get it out as fast as possible. I love that. Um, what is your uh, favorite spot in Savannah? To to write or to think? To, for thinking, yeah, for pondering. I would say of late my new favorite thing is to ride my bike up and down the streets, especially in the Ardsley area, mm. because there's not as many cars to yes. kill me. But I very much enjoyed that because riding the bike is very different to visually take in your world than walking, or especially when you're in a car, you don't even notice half the things that fly yeah. past your window. So that's probably been one of my favorite things. And I'll put some sort of classical music on my phone and then my brain will just start thinking and visualizing and I would say currently that's my that sounds really nice favorite. I love that you got to Ardsley too because they I, I walk my dog around there sometimes and there's that Washington Avenue is so beautiful oh, and just gorgeous. every house out there is so different and I love how decked out they get for Halloween as well oh my gosh I was just out the other day it, yeah it's like a competition in some yeah. of the streets there's, I loved it there's a Please few particular ones that I think every year they go all out and it's a famous <laughs> thing um, okay, well, this is awesome. I wanted to ask, I have a few questions that I ask at the end to ask yeah. everybody. Our standard, like, inside the actor studio questions. Okay, I'm um, ready. Do you have a favorite song that you like to listen to, to kind of, like, jazz yourself up? Or if you're walking along the street, like a theme song that plays in your head? Theme song would definitely be one by K.T. Tunstall. It's called Suddenly I See, and it's actually in The Devil Wears Prada when Anne Hathaway changes her outfit several times during this one montage. That would definitely be a theme yes, song. That is iconic. I love that song, oh, and I know you. that montage you're talking about. And I'd say recently to get jazzed up, it is Queen, and the song is Don't Stop Me Now. And I will blast that from my kitchen. I love it. And dance. If, I, if I'm hearing that out of my house in Starland, I will know that that's you me. blasting yes. it. Okay. <laughs> Um, Melissa, who's unfortunately not here with us today, but she always likes to ask, um, is there a particular person in your field who you really admire? For children's books, hands down is Fancy Nancy, the duo that wrote and illustrated, like Chelsea and I are two different people, and like Chelsea and I, they were serendipitously thrown together. So if anyone ever compared our books to Fancy Nancy, my life would be made. <laughs> Um, if you were not doing what you're doing, is there a different uh, field or path that you would like to do? I would be in history or costumes. Okay. Or I would do period pieces in film that I had to make historical costumes. But I love history, and my dad said you will never make any money in it, so you got to find another field. Yeah. And the field I chose is not also the most stable in the finance department, but that's okay. <laughs> and then um, Melissa's final question would be, um, is, if there, is there a particular book that really speaks to you? I would have to say my 
two, the, these are not children's books. Fancy Nancy would speak to me in Bernstein Bears of her kid's world, but as an adult, I adore the book Gone with the Wind. I read it at a time when I could relate to the struggles that the main character goes through in the arcs of her life growing up very quickly, and um, the Civil War can represent your own internal war that you have going on. And so that, that book I come back to, and every time I read it in a different phase of my life, I get something new out of it. Oh, that's wonderful. And I have to give a Jane Austen plug. I do read Pride and Prejudice every year. Okay. Is there a particular <laughs> time of year that you read it? I read Gone with the Wind at Christmas, and I read Pride and Prejudice at Valentine's Day. Oh, beautiful. Ironically, it's just worked out that way. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, Emily. Hi, this has been a pleasure, and um, I'm going to post links to where people can buy your books, but again, you have an adult book called Establish, and then two children's books called Scarlet Runs the Race and Scarlet Moves to Savannah. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a blast. Up next, we'll have a little musical interlude by a couple of musicians that we've interviewed in the past. Coming up first are three clips by Kristen King. If you remember, she's the harpist who performs pop uh, and rock, classic rock music on her harp. And then we'll have some instrumental by Derek Lynch, AKA Cola Hack. some upcoming creative events over the next week. On Thursday, November 10th at 5 p.m., there is a show at Victory North called Howls of the Sirens. It is four of the best female-fronted bands in Savannah. Also Thursday, November 10th from 9 a.m. to 2 a.m. at El Rocco, rapper Dope Knife is celebrating the two-year process of making his new project, and it's going to be a night of art and music. Uh, from November 10th to December 3rd is the new artist in Sulphur Studios on View Residency. Uh, the artist is Sue Carrie Drummond, and sh her project is to develop a pop-up artist book focused on issues of domesticity and gender. On Saturday, November 12th from 10 to 4 is the Slam Art Show. It's on B Road, and for this one, they are partnering with Savannah Supports Ukraine, and they're accepting items for Ukraine, including canned goods, hygiene items, and blankets. And then uh, finally, also on Saturday, November 12th from 2 to 3 p.m., uh, Jennifer Mack Watkins is doing a workshop to provide participants with the basic information needed to establish a professional art practice and make a personal plan to promote oneself as an artist. That is also at Sulphur Studios. Coming up next on WRUU, that old Savannah magic from 4 to 6 p.m. It's an awesome variety show featuring Savannah history, radio theater, interviews, and music. 
You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul.